It's been like nothing I've ever seen before. And a lot of that is led by this cast. You don't have to do this, actually. You can say the lines, you can go on, go home, and you can go and make your next thing. And to see all of you actually becoming activists by choice has been magic. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Awardist Podcast, EW's weekly breakdown of the Emmys race. I am senior TV editor Jared Hall, and joining me is one of my favorite critics of all time, Kristen Baldwin. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much. You're fa- one of your favorites of all time. Yeah, I mean... I was about to say I've been reading you for a long time. I don't mean that in any kind of like you've been around a long time, but. (laughs) I'm old. It's fine. No, I mean, look, when I started working at EW, you were one of the people I was most excited to finally get to meet. And then you're in New York and I was in L.A., but eventually it happened. And here we are together on a podcast talking about our favorite thing, TV. I could talk TV with you all day. And actually, we kind of do talk TV all day, Jared. (laughs) It's true. We're on Slack all day talking about shows, for better or worse. The shows, for better or worse. Our conversation is always wonderful. Always Um, better. But yeah. Um, But uh, look, today, today's episode is, for me, my favorite things that I have seen all year. It's beautiful. It's intimate. It's heartbreaking. It's the limited series, It's a Sin, on HBO Max from Russell T. Davies, who brought us so many wonderful pieces of art. Uh, The original Queerest Folk, he did years and years. He did a very English scandal. Yeah. And this uh, limited series is, it's really interesting because... We've seen a lot of things that, uh, you know, tell the story of the rise of AIDS, but not like this. This one is a very British perspective. It's about uh, five young friends in London who uh, all become flatmates. And then we see what starts to happen around them. And we see how their government uh, really chose to ignore things. We see how patients were like essentially put in solitary confinement in these very large but cold rooms with you know nothing around them it's um just given the material you know it's going to be heartbreaking but there is also so much joy in it uh because these characters are just so full of life uh and they're they're played by a young cast that a lot of these characters are a lot of these actors may be unknowns to a lot of people but uh one person i think some will know is ollie alexander he's the lead Mm -hmm. singer of the band years and years which is now a solo project of his and lydia west is also uh on the show she plays the straight best friend, but who is very much an ally to this group of friends. People might know her from Russell's uh, years and years as well. And uh, so we are talking to Ali, Lydia, and Russell a little bit later in the podcast. And they're just, uh, they're a fantastic group. And they, they're they very proud of what they've done here, as they should be. And I mean, I think it's so important uh, to, you know, spread the word about this show, this limited series, simply because, you know, HBO Max has so much stuff. So <laughs> much not, stuff. It's got to be hard to, <laughs> to weed through it. And you want to tell people about the gems, yeah. like, like It's a Sin or I yeah. Hate Susie, which is also right. on HBO Max. So yes, uh, I'm so glad we got to talk to them. And I can't wait for people to hear your conversation And in the meantime, Jared, Mm -hmm. before we get to your conversation, we're going to talk about a very packed race. Oh, my gosh. uh, Supporting actor and actress in drama. There's a lot, a lot of great contenders. Uh, Should we start with actor? Why don't you run us through who is in the mix for supporting actor in a drama? Let's do it. I'm going to take a deep breath because the list is long because there are so many great people. Yes. Tobias Menzies from The Crown. Michael Kenneth Williams from Lovecraft Country. 
Bradley Whitford from The Handmaid's Tale, John Benjamin Hickey from In Treatment, Anthony Ramos from In Treatment, Giancarlo Esposito, because it's Italian, from The Mandalorian, <laughs> John Lithgow from Perry Mason, Jonathan Bailey from Bridgerton, who will lead season two, and two folks from Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Wyatt Russell and Daniel Bruhl. Wow, what a category. I think in a lot of ways, Michael Kenneth Williams is a... Uh, He's a favorite here to many Lovecraft yes. country. As we've talked about this uh, series on uh, another episode, um, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on here. And he, though, is such a beloved guy in the industry. And I don't think I've ever been disappointed by a performance of his. And he certainly does not let down here. Absolutely. I mean, I definitely think he's a front runner. I have mm -hmm. to throw a little love to Tobias Menzies, though, who, yeah. I mean, come on, he's so good as Prince Philip. And Prince Philip is like, uh, for lack of a better term, he's like, basically a real prick uh, in these yeah. seasons, especially. And yet, he's so convincing. And he's so you you see the history of yeah. why he is the way he is which is a prick um, through <laughs> this performance. And I just think mm -hmm. Tobias is incredible. Uh, I hope he gets some love for this too. Yeah. He made me like him when I did not want to. And exactly. that's no easy task. Yeah. It's no easy task. It's so true. And it's interesting because Josh O'Connor, who we've talked about in previous episode, he makes you, you know, really feel for Prince Charles when mm -hmm. you don't want to like him. And it's the same, you know, there's the same theme here with uh, Tobias and his performance as Prince Philip. I have a question, though. Mm -hmm. Are we really living in a world where Falcon and the Winter Soldier has <laughs> legitimate Emmy contenders in this category and other categories? And it's <sighs> maybe we are. And I'm not I'm just I'm just puzzled by this because I know that generally the critical response to that show was not great, yet yeah. these actors keep popping up in the mix. They do keep popping up, and I don't know if that's just a matter of because it's the Disney machine. Yeah. I mean, obviously, a lot of people watch the show, so I, I don't want to discount that at all. Um, and, and, you know, liked what they saw, but it, did it rise to the level of, uh, you know, WandaVision? Absolutely not. I'm not sure it's going to rise to the level of Loki, which is coming up either. But, you know, I mean, look, these are these are good guys, good actors, and I'm not sure either why they're in the mix, but uh, good for them. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> I don't mean it to sound so dismissive, but right, exactly. And, you know, honestly, I, I love Giancarlo as well. He, of, of course, we know how fantastic he is in uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Uh, he was nominated for the first season of The Mandalorian. I just, I, yeah. I, I it, there's, there's such little screen time from him. Not that that matters, of course. He meets the qualifications, but... I don't know when I watch him, I'm thinking, ah, oh, that is an Emmy nomination worthy performance right there. I think there are some actors who are so beloved that yeah. whenever they have anything that's in contention, they come up in as yeah. as part of the, uh, they get some Emmy nomination momentum because people love them so much. I mean, on the comedy mm -hmm. side, you see like Ted Danson getting buzzed right. for Mr. Mayor. Yep. And I think that's really primarily on the strength of how much people just love Ted Danson. So I mm. think that might be the case here with Giancarlo Esposito. Yeah. Anyway, I will say for in treatment, I do think John Benjamin Hick Hickey is incredible. Yeah. He's really good. He plays sort of this white collar criminal who definitely mm -hmm. is not being as upfront 
with no. his therapist. He's in like court mandated right. therapy. Yeah, as he should be. Yeah, and, and he's just not adjusting to like life very well outside right. of prison. That's a simple way of putting it, I guess. Yes, and Anthony yeah. Ramos is uh, somebody who's staying with a family. He's like a health aide staying with a family mm-hmm. during the pandemic, and he's yeah. doing like Skype therapy or Zoom therapy. And yeah. he's somebody who it's really hard. You know, he's sitting alone in a room trying to yeah. do these intense emotional scenes with Uzo Aduba. And mm-hmm. yeah, he's really charismatic and compelling. Yeah. And we're about to see him lead a movie in the Heights. So his face is going to be, is everywhere uh, in, in addition yeah. to in treatment. So I feel like that could help him a bit here yeah. too. Um, not to say again that he's undeserving, but you know, that exposure doesn't hurt at all. Certainly does not. Yeah. John Lithgow, people loved in Perry Mason. I mean, I, I don't know that I've seen him in anything I didn't love. Um, I know you have feelings about The Handmaid's Tale, but Bradley Whitford is great. <sighs> He's great. I but, mean, I don't feel like he has, He's. it's another one, just like sort of the Giancarlo situation. In this season, I don't feel like he's done enough. You know, he's very good mm-hmm. uh, in general, but like he's not doing anything new this season. His character's not really getting a ton to do so far. And yeah. I think it's one of those things where it's like, people just love him. People just love Bradley Whitford. They've liked his performance in the past in this role. Mm-hmm. So why not? So we'll see. I mean, as as we get down to actual nominations and brass tacks, we'll see what really has the momentum. But, you know, I feel like a few of these names are in the mix, you know, for knee-jerk reasons. Um, mm-hmm. But they're also great actors. So, okay, I'm not going to get yeah. mad about it. Yeah, yeah, of course. And and by the way, I should mention Billy Crudup won this last year for The Morning Show, but uh, he's not eligible this year because the show uh, is not eligible. Season two is not out yet. Um, but man, I'd, he was fantastic in that show and I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that seemed a little out of left field to me, but he was very good in the show. So it, it could be, this mm-hmm. could be another category where we get some kind of surprise you know, nominations or surprise winners. So yeah, and I'm always up for that. Switch it up. Keep things yes. fresh. Uh, did you already talk about this? Who's your dream nominee here? I mean, I, I feel that I really just really want Tobias to win. I'm glad mm-hmm. you know, I want him to be nominated and I want him to win. That's what I'm manifesting on my vision board at home. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm with you on that one. Uh, I think of these, I mean, John Benjamin Hickey's just, he's oh, so he's good. Like, Tony winner, I, let's make him an Emmy winner too, you know? I, I would not be, yeah, I would not be upset if that win. And I definitely would not be upset to see Michael Kenneth Williams, uh, certainly nominated. He deserves that. And I don't know. I think he has a really good chance at winning too. I don't want to jinx anything for anyone, but yeah, I think there's a lot of love for him in this performance. I think you're right. Yeah, and a couple of his uh, female co-stars are also uh, in kind of strong contention in their category. So let's let's switch over to supporting actress in a drama, shall we? From Lovecraft Country are Anjanu Ellis and Wunmi Mosaku. Also then from The Crown, we've got a trio of actresses here. Emerald Fennell, who's uh, so good, and she's coming off Oscar wins. Gillian Anderson, of course, as Margaret Thatcher. Helena Bonham Carter. Uh, and then from The Handmaid's Tale, three actresses here. And Dowd, Samara Wiley, Yvonne Strahovski. Then Perry Mason, Tatiana Maslany, who uh, the Academy members also love. And in Ratched, Cynthia Nixon. What a category. My gosh. 
I guess I would say mm-hmm. of The Handmaid's Tale, I do feel like we got to take it down a notch uh, in yeah. terms of just automatically nominating anybody who happens to appear in that show. I think Anne Dowd uh, is great, still great. I've watched, mm-hmm. I'm watching this season, people, so don't yell at me. Like, I just don't <laughs> think Yvonne's had a ton to do uh, yeah. as Serena Joy. Samira has definitely had more to do mm-hmm. than she did last year. But, you know, I feel like maybe we could let some new folks get into the mix here, like the Lovecraft country ladies. Yeah. But really, 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 Jared, can anyone beat Jillian Anderson and her wig? No. I mean, I think it's a very simple answer. I don't think anybody stands a chance of beating Jillian Anderson in this category. She had her one season uh, of The Crown. That's all she was needed for. And wow, did she just take that season and own every single scene she was in from the walk, the hair, as you mentioned, that wig, the talk, uh, the 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 demeanor, the voice. It was just, wow, all around. I know, it was just transformative. And yeah. there weren't a ton of scenes with her and Olivia Coleman together, but they were yeah. so good. Like, mm-hmm. you really, I believe I said in my review, you, it, you felt like you were watching the Wimbledon finals of acting when you would just watch the mm-hmm. you know camera go back and forth, back and forth between these two masters. And I just think, you know, it's going to be really hard to beat her. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of great actresses in this category, but I just... I just don't know how you mm-hmm. how you top yeah. Jillian Anderson embodying the Iron Lady. Yeah, and the two of them, I mean, they elevated each other's work so much yes. in that way too. Uh, just you could, like you said, just it was a masterclass. They just when when one of those it was uh, it was time for the weekly audience that uh, that <laughs> weekly visit, and I felt I, I know I felt myself kind of like shift in my on my mm-hmm. sofa for those scenes because she also had the scenes with her uh are they called a, a cabinet her yes. uh, her cabinet and um there was a whole other different energy there because the men in so many ways were trying to kind of steamroll her um but right. she was just sitting there on one hand you kind of felt maybe she was being steamrolled but you just knew like there were certain shots that was like nope this is all going to come back to bite these guys in the ass because uh, exactly. she has a master plan. This is not a stupid woman, and she certainly was not. And even just then, those scenes at home where she's like the doting oh, mom and the doting yes. wife, it's just all of it is based in fact, too, in terms yeah. of how Margaret Thatcher really operated. And, and you know, obviously, Gillian Anderson is one of those actresses who immerses herself in the person she's trying to play. And so... Yeah, I love her very much. I hope yeah. she wins. I also enjoy Helena. I mean, these are yeah. all, uh, you know, really worthy. This is a great category, and it's nice that TV has an embarrassment of riches in this yeah. category once again. Yep. Well, uh, we have a, a bit of time to see how all of the uh, nomination voting shakes out. That happens July 13th. Nominations will be revealed. But meantime, we have another interview for you here. Someone we think should be nominated in their category limited series. So coming up right after this break, stick around for my conversation with It's a Sin creator, Russell T. Davies and stars Ali Alexander and Lydia West. Welcome back to The Awardist. Please enjoy my interview with It's a Sin's Russell T. Davies, Ali Alexander, and Lydia West. (laughs) 
I am thrilled to once again be speaking with some people from uh, a series this year that I absolutely loved and everyone else who's watched it has as well. The creator, writer, executive producer and stars of the HBO Max limited series. It's a sin. Russell T. Davies, Ollie Alexander and Lydia West. Hello to all of you. How are you? Hello. Very good. Hi. Hi. We're delighted to see each other. That's what's lovely about this. (laughs) Hello. 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 You know, guys, it's so crazy to think when I when I first spoke with uh, the three of you and, and the others, uh, that was like way back in, in January for SCAD, a TV fest. And uh, there was a lot we couldn't get into them because I think at that time only one episode had been released. So um, so I kind of want to jump to the end of the series and then we will backtrack a bit if that's OK. Let's talk about that finale, which... Whew, I'll try not to uh, get all uh, clamped again about it, but uh, for anyone who hasn't watched, huge spoiler alert right now, Ollie's character, Richie, dies. And what I think, well, there are many things fascinating about that uh, finale, but one of them is that we don't see the death happen on screen. Russell, had you always written it that way? Did it change at any point? Like, why no death scene on camera? Oh, I, I, I'd always plan it that way. I know a good twist when I see it because <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> I'm no fool. It's like, and also it's like, I mean, it's, it's a trick that's played on the audience. It's a great big narrative trick that, um, that in a show about people getting ill and dying, you need to pull some tricks. You need to keep things buzzing. Mm-hmm. But, but actually, it's not just a trick. It's the whole point that this really happened, that yeah. in real life, this happened countless times. Mm-hmm. Friends and lovers were forbidden to be at the bedside of people who were dying. Families would come in, mums and dads would come in in some terrible households and bless them in their grief and their anger. They would handle things wrongly and say the wrong things and do the wrong things. So boyfriends and friends and lovers were not allowed at the bedside. That happened so many times. So the mm-hmm. audience goes through a similar experience. That's what it is. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like um, you know, you, you want to be there. You want to hear Richie's final words, and you're denied it. Mm-hmm. And I know people living with that with that anger and that loss. Mm-hmm. To this day, once you miss that moment, it's missed. So, yeah, I wanted yeah. to recreate that real-life feeling that so many people went through. Yeah, Ollie, was there uh, was there relief on your part that you didn't have to die on camera? <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, Richie has a pretty epic final speech, I must say, and uh-huh. Russell had Russell told me to not do it like a final speech. <laughs> oh, um, you know because but I love that Richie got that kind of last moment. Like that was such a beautiful scene to play as an actor with um keely Hawes, yeah. my my mom and yeah. having that exchange was just oh it gives me like chills to think about uh, well it gave everyone chills to watch I, I i very specifically had a question here to ask you about um you know when richie is just kind of unloading on her telling her all of these things uh these you know essentially what he feels are these like sins that he's you know committed against others really kind of against himself too i i just really can't imagine the uh kind of intensity in that moment, the like mental emotional prep on your part, like, all right, here we go. What was that, uh, that day like? Yeah, it was definitely challenging when I saw it coming up in the schedule. I really had a lot of anxiety about the scene because you don't, I just didn't want to get it wrong. And I, I loved the, mm-hmm. the word so much and I loved the story and I love the characters and I wanted to do it justice. And you go through, I was going through all of that stuff in my head. And then I think the best thing to do is to let it all go on the day and just 
forget about all of that heaviness and all of the um, importance of what you're doing and just mm-hmm. say the words and be in the moment. And um, that's what everyone was trying. That's what, you know, our director, Peter Hoare and, and, our, and Keely, and as everyone was really trying to do on set all the time, I think and that really helped just kind of mm-hmm. get, you, get you into it. Well, and then, of course, Lydia, you also have your moment with uh, Keely Hawes when uh, Jill finds out that Richie has died. Uh, I personally think that that scene is one that should like live on in the history of TV as one of the greatest ever because it's just such a gut punch. And then the way you go in, ah, it's just brilliant. So let's talk about that confrontation. Russell first, finding those words... Uh, and then Lydia bringing those words to life. I mean, to be honest, in many ways, finding those words isn't hard because the entire drama has been heading towards that. It's not like mm. it's not like something you write at the end. You go, oh, what shall I do now? Um, I've been planning this for years, and then it was a year in the writing, and episode one, episode two, episode three, episode four, I'm heading towards that seafront. Uh, well, actually heading towards um, Richie, Ollie's final speech as well. Everything's climaxing there. But actually that... That showdown is something I've always wanted to say. I knew that mother, I knew my real life friend Jill is based on Jill. I knew the people who went through this, which they must have been through in like 1991. So that's how long that's been in my head. So actually, I think I came to write it. I mean, it's all right. It's hard work writing stuff. But um, I think I came to write it with a sense of relief, to be honest. It was like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here at last. This mm-hmm. is why I did the entire drama was to yeah. watch this. And then you get Lydia and Keely and then wow, the joy. The joy. Yeah. Okay, so so Lydia. <laughs> yeah, well, approaching that it's just when you have a, a speech like that as an actor, you're just like so blessed. <laughs> so blessed. It's so it's so gorgeous and um and it's similar to kind to what Ollie said. It's we did as much prep as we could and we all knew our characters inside out and we knew where we were in the story and in our relationships with each other. But when it came down to it, it was just about kind of throwing the pages away and just meaning every, every word of, of, of what was, what was on there. Um, and that, that's not hard to do with, with Russell's writing really. Um, but, but yeah, it was, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't, I tried not to go in with, with too many expectations on, on what, uh, Keely was, was going to bring to it because I, I hadn't, um, worked, that was the first time, uh, meeting that day was, was doing that mm. scene. Um, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was just, she, she was just amazing and kind of, I, I just tried to listen to her and, and respond to her. And yeah, it's just that that, that point in the script is, is there's so much that Jill's been through and it was amazing mm-hmm. to get to that place. Um, and it was very early on during the, the shoot. But yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's a really special moment. And I, it's just, because it was so, it feels like so, so long ago, I don't really know. <laughs> really know how, how I approached it I just tried to, to listen and, and mean it and yeah, yeah so it's, it's such an important piece of, of text that uh, mm-hmm. of words that not many people often get to say to people so it's very very special mm-hmm. yeah yeah indeed um you know there's something really special about the dynamic um especially between your two characters because uh jill on one hand is the kind of like slapping the wrist like what are you guys doing hello all of this is going on and richie is 
not that way, obviously. He's living his life as freely as he possibly can. He's not going to let this uh, slow him down. But they're also two, like, very, they're kindred spirits, really. Like, they're, you can tell there's this incredible bond between them as much as they kind of butt heads uh, a little bit in those ways. So in forming that relationship, the two of you, were there any, like, extra lengths you went to to kind of, like, make <laughs> Jill and Richie this, like, inseparable team? <laughs> I think to say we are our real life. <laughs> we try. We it's, it, it's it was so easy to fall in love with Ollie from the first day I met him. It's, he's so so kind and everything that he brings to it. He's not he's a, he's not Richie, but Ollie as as a person is so easy to just build a connection with and, and be close with mm-hmm. and love. And then I just I guess I that's what I I was bringing that to Jill and Richie's relationship mm-hmm. that love and that mm-hmm. friendship. Would you say you were starstruck by him? Sorry, I'm sorry. I, I, I was starstruck. <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> that song's about you, Lydia. <laughs> uh, the truth, the truth comes out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was so nice. Thanks, Liz. Yeah, we just got we just got on right away. We were always we were we we would always be um like Richie and Jill were always touching each other. That was our like little thing mm. as well. <laughs> like even in moments when they sure shouldn't, there was no reason for them to. We'd be like just touching each other. <laughs> yeah, um, Russell and I was as I was kind of describing uh, Richie there being this kind of denier of sorts. Why did you decide to make your you know your central character a denier, which in turn kind of makes him a little bit of an antagonist? Of course, we have the virus and the government, which are are really uh, you know kind of th- the bad guys here, of course, but. He's the one who's kind of living, breathing the one we see on screen. Mm. He's only denied for one episode, and actually, it's a different thing. It's 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 a denial in 1982, 1983. It made sense. It was a bad, mm. bad, all that stuff in because that's what I thought. There's a mm. disease that only kills gay men. If we said that now, people would go, "Oh, what nonsense!" We know technically that's not true as well, mm. but that's how it's seen, and that's how it's seen through the prism of this series. So his his denial isn't stupidity. It's it's actually as as Jill keeps saying to him, he's too clever. He's too clever. He thinks he can run rings around it, and mm. and. Because it sounds so ridiculous. Um, nowadays, a flu-like virus that gives you a very bad flu and kills you, what's to deny? Yeah, it is. Right. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's really obvious that that's yeah. happening. So um, it, was, it was just important to mark that moment in history when a lot of people, mm-hmm. including the gay community, the gay community is the exact same community that then, as happens on screen in this, that then mobilized itself, and people became activists and fought back and made government shift and made scientists shift and did the hard work. So all of that is in there as well. And mm-hmm. um, it, it's more complicated for Richie. And that's because he's a properly character. He's not there to be gay. And he's not there mm-hmm. to he's not he's not there to be a victim. Um, he's he's as any with any drama with any lead character. If the drama's working well, um, then that, those are complicated figures. It's the same for Jill mm-hmm. as well. Jill isn't just a, a saint. She's too much of a saint sometimes. Yeah. She's silent when she shouldn't be. She's put upon. Either you know, um, of course, these actors bring it to life too. A vast extent, way beyond anything I wrote, but um, but that's that's that you know it's important in a gay drama. What's seen as a gay drama that the lead characters mm-hmm. are as complicated and as difficult and as sometimes as deadly and sometimes as beautiful as you would ask to be in The Sopranos or in Six mm-hmm. Feet Under or any any drama. It's really important. Yeah, 
Indeed. In the midst of, uh, you know, that one episode when Richie is uh, a, a bit of a denier and living his life to the fullest, I understand there were a couple days of torture on set for dear old Ollie. All those sex scenes he had to shoot. I mean, my gosh, Russell, putting him through torture there. Oh, I just typed it. It's like, <laughs> oh, nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. And who'd be an actor? Bless you. Bless you, Ollie. But... It was a very difficult couple of days, but someone had to do it. <laughs> very good point. Very good point. Um, I, I want to talk to uh, all of you also about like just the journey that you've gotten to go on with this, um, uh, you know, since it's been released earlier this year and everything that's kind of come with it. Let's talk about that first. I mean, Elton John. His, his Oscar party, which, of course, raises money for his AIDS Foundation. Uh, Ollie, your Brit Awards performance with him. Uh, the series is racking up all kinds of awards now. Uh, so, Ollie, let me go to you. What's, what have, like, the last, has it been six months, five months been like? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. It's just been um, very, like, overwhelming and emotional because... I'm so thrilled like people love the show as much as I did working on it and I am so attached to these characters and the story and I'm so happy that people are responding in that way too but it's so much, it's quite it, it just goes on and on like I, yeah. I and I think because it's been a lockdown as well it's quite hard to I don't know remember what real life what used to be like or something mm. I don't know so I'm still sort of processing it but I um it's just I don't know, it opened my eyes in so many ways, done so many things, um, just from doing the show and then the response to the show. And it's really made me go, wow, you know, this, this conversation really needed to happen. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my take. For now, it probably seems. Yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. Lydia, right before we started, you said it feels like every day someone is coming up and talking to you about it? Yeah, they are. And it feels like I've gone from almost being a performer to to now being able to being somewhat an activist and, and to, to speak mm. um to, to speak on this this moment in history so it feels like like a huge privilege but also with with that privilege uh, is is quite overwhelming and um it because so much it has has just changed but uh it it's just so 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 great like what the show has created and to be to be involved in that i i'm i'm just all for it if i if i knew i was signing up for this at the start i would have i, I would have signed on the dotted line but it's I, I had no idea what to expect and and um yeah i'm just i'm just grateful every day really uh, russell for all the things you've written and created i mean this, this certainly feels like the most personal is, is the reaction kind of reflecting that to you as well oh absolutely the reaction has been off the scale i've never worked on a show where about a week into transmission um, we, uh, the, the, the company, Red Production Company and Channel 4, where the phone call, we sort of said, how are they all? How's that cast doing? And we actually had to reach out to say, are you okay? I've never done it on any show before. But I'm Jake because it was overwhelming. And by overwhelming, it's like I think every single one of us was being bombarded by people who'd lost people, people who'd mm. suffered, people who had stories that they wanted to share. The doors were opening and stories were tumbling out of people, which was wonderful which is absolutely brilliant. The truth was coming out. That's what happened. But an awful mm. lot of families who've never spoken about the person that they lost, an awful lot of generations who've never been told about their uncle or dad or brother mm. or, or grandfather who had, uh, how they died. And of course, let alone the women who died of AIDS and the children who died of AIDS. It's like mm. these doors were opening up and 
these two are two beautiful people and but you know and as all the cast of mari and callum nathaniel every single one of them um you know it's 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 a big thing so we had reached out and said are you okay and everyone was but it was genuinely you have to look after yourself in that kind of situation mm. as well you know you you have to draw a line you say you can't do every single charity request you can't you can't mm. make every single speech you have to live your own life as well but to see what has been joyous i mean i don't want to make that sound like a problem because the overwhelming mm. result is to like lydia says like ollie says all of us is even nathaniel hall who's one of our cast members who's actually uh hiv positive himself does he's become like a legend and a public speaker and a famous person a mm. famous young actor with hiv that's been a joy and i'm sure yeah, mm. i don't know if you know but in this country HIV testing levels went up fourfold. So actually wow. lives were being saved. Yeah, fourfold. Wow. Um, extraordinary figures. And there's one T-shirt. There's one T-shirt with a little catchphrase <laughs> printed on it. One mm -hmm. single T-shirt made by one man is about to make £500,000 <gasps> for HIV. It's close to Wow. They say it's going to reach that by the summer, £500,000 for charity. Printed by one man in a back room. His version of this mm. is a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> He's had a terrible time. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been like nothing I've ever seen before. And a mm. lot of that is led by this cast. You don't have to do this, actually. You can say the lines, you can go on, go mm. home, and you can go and make your next thing. And to see all of you actually becoming activists by choice has been magic. Mm. Wow. That's really something. That's really special. And, and of course, credit to you for writing it and uh you know sticking with us through all these years I'm, I'm sure you had no idea any of that would happen but it's no. i i can't imagine what it feels like when you just want to create a piece of art but it has that kind of power to change and make uh an impact like that congrats to to all of you for that um i do want to ask where did la come from <laughs> um, me and my friends who are terribly butch <laughs> all used to say it what a what a bunch of teenagers we were yeah we were we were like that though i belong to a youth theater and that's what the real life jill is based on with all my mates we used to, i don't know someone said it one day we we're probably having a music lesson or something and then someone went La, and we all laughed and then we said it for the next 10 years and um and i put that in a script never thinking that would work you know kind of in jokes don't carry they don't work mm. as a rule and i almost cut it from the edit i sat in the edit going, is that working is that mm. is that strange and look five hundred thousand pounds for charity so um, yeah yeah it absolutely worked. It absolutely worked. Um, uh, as I said in the beginning, we, we started at the finale. We're kind of working our way backwards. I'm really curious uh, for um, Lydia and Ali, the the first time that you met Nathaniel, uh, Nathaniel Curtis, who played Ash, Mario Douglas, who played Roscoe, and Callum Scott Howells uh, as, as Colin. What do you recall about that first time all of you got together? I remember thinking how how gorgeous everybody was. Like, what a good-looking cast. Mm, indeed. <laughs> So handsome and beautiful. Oh. And just instantly, we all, we were all, I think, we had this look on our faces like we couldn't believe we were where we were reading these characters because <laughs> we all met at the read through pretty much. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I just remember that day we were all a bit wide eyed, like, oh, wow. It was just so exciting to me. To, oh, I loved it. Yeah, it, it was the same for me. It was kind of, we, we did have the exact same energy. We were all very kind of nervous, but excited. Yeah. Mm. And um, we just, I, I think there was a, 
something about all of us that just wanted to be best mates instantly. <laughs> I think that from the from from day one we were kind of like, well, this is it now. Let's go for dinner tonight and let's hang out yeah. every day for the rest of our lives. Um, so, yeah, it was just the, the growth of it. it it's, it's so rare not to, to have like a weak link in in a, in an ensemble cast sorry to say <laughs> or just just something but all of us really we we, we really no weak link. <laughs> no weak links we all just really got on and everyone was so great and kind and uh, generous and yeah it was it was just love at first sight <laughs> i mean but i think that that all translates to the screen too though i mean it was really important for all these people who were living together to have that feeling of these uh you know, incredible bonds. There were a lot of such fun, like, group scenes, too. I mean, in, in addition to those very kind of, uh, you know, more intimate moments, but the group scenes, uh, I mean, when everyone's together, some of those parties, you could just kind of feel the energy. It was just coming off the screen, too. Is that what it all felt like when you had those big days? Yes. Yeah. It felt, yeah. It, sometimes it felt like quite a mad energy to shooting some of those scenes because we mm. all you know, Russell and our director was always telling us to like, pick, pick up the pace, you know, like friends talk over each other. Mm. You're always just, you know, not expecting what's coming next. There's a million things Lost going on. So mm-hmm. um, it kind of felt like that shooting it, which is like what life is like, you know, you, you don't really know mm. what, what you're saying <laughs> half the time. <laughs> Thank God we had Russell to write it for us. Oh my God. So yeah. Just, <laughs> oh my God. It was so fun yeah. to shoot. So fun. Yeah. Well, so that, that leads me to, is there a day in particular that you just recall was like the absolutely like most fun day of this entire shoot? I think for me, it was, we'd, we'd done quite a bit together at the start and then we all kind of went our separate ways. And then <coughs> mid shoot, we, we went back to do the Primrose Hill scene, which is the final scene of the whole show where Richie's yeah. um, d- doing his speech and, and we're all together again. And it was kind of like reuniting again and knowing that mm. it was the final speech. And we did also rehearse that scene in, in the rehearsal week. So going back to it, it just felt, mm. it was like rounding it off so nicely. And it was just such a fun day. And it, although it was raining, <laughs> there was like a massive light, like there was fake mm. sun. It just felt really, really <laughs> amazing just to be, kind of sitting on top of each other on this bench and laughing and yeah, yeah. It was, that oh. was that for me stood out i love that i still I thought, can't believe that works i mean that's a it's a show that ends on a cgi seagull so i actually <laughs> spent six months going please 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 like that never believing that would work i mean we're dead if that and it's perfect isn't it it's like perfect. when they finally unveiled that and showed it to me i was like Oh, that's that's what I cried. When it the looks Seagull great. <laughs> look, it's look, it's WandaVision brilliant. and Loki and Falcon and Winter Soldier have nothing on the CGI Seagull. That's Seagull. That's Seagull. Thank <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Ollie, uh, for you, uh, a, a day you think of? Uh, well, I remember that day too, and I loved it. I, I, I remember we had um, a day shooting kind of like little montage type pickups of us in the pink palace and it was like the boys mm. coming out of the shower going into each other's room yeah. jill's in the kitchen and we're all just kind of having you know we're in the prime of our lives like everything's great mm. we're living together and it was just so much fun to, to to be with each other on set and do that and to be those characters at that moment so i just mm. uh, and, the, and the pink palace set was really just it was really fun to be in. It was like a little, yeah. like a quick, like just fun maze of 
these characters' lives, like ingenious walls that like came in and out and stuff. It was fun mm-hmm. to play around in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Last thing here, I, I, I want to ask you. It's it's kind of serious, but um, you know, answer it as you will, and maybe you've kind of said some of it already. But um, Ollie, when uh, that pride issue we spoke for, you said this has been a life changing experience. What is what is kind of like a one major takeaway for each of you uh, from being being part of creating and, and acting in It's a Sin? Oh my goodness. Well, for me, I got to really explore a part. I, I, it's almost like I got to fill in all these gaps in my understanding about like the culture I had grown up in. Like I was born in 1990, you know, kind of right at the end of it, It's a Sin um, is there. And um, I never really understood how deep the stigma and the pain that happened because of all of this, of all of the arrival of HIV and the and the way it affected communities, I never really understood how that impacted. Like it, it connected a lot of dots for me in a way that I'm so grateful for. And then it really, I was really scared to kind of like find that stuff out in a way. I realized I was scared, and I was also scared about the world finding it out in a way. Like they're going to talk about it. Like oh my gosh, that sounds scary too. And then to be so surprised in a good way by the response, by how people really wanted to share and wanted to kind of engage with this topic in a sensitive way. It's just been like, ah, amazing. Lydia? Yeah, I agree. I think it's the education that that it's given me has kind of allowed me to find my voice and to feel very, very confident in speaking about basic human rights that I may have other times before not been confident enough to say or felt my voice wasn't valid um so so now I'm I'm, it's just allowed me that like learning about a a period in history that I was I was unaware of has just opened my eyes to to other things that are going on at the moment that are also deeply unjust and um yeah just just having this show enabling me to to do that I think is something that has really helped me develop as a person that I will take with me for the rest of my life Mm, yeah beautiful and Russell for me, well, it's two things. It's that the truth has come out. So many truths have been told. So many families and friendship groups have opened up about people they lost over the past 40 years and are now not ashamed or embarrassed or hesitant to say what the cause of death was. And that's a glorious thing. And also industry-wise for EW, I would say that this show has proved that a young cast can conquer the world. Because mm. that's very often seen as impediment. You'll get commissioners mm. reading scripts going, hmm, young cast. <laughs> because mm. you're looking for new talent mm-hmm. and look what's happened with these with these young people it's just been absolutely extraordinary and it's a lesson to everyone to go for new talent look for that look for it find it put it on screen and mm-hmm. we all shine with it then we all shine in your light you too mm. that's Aww. wonderful Aww. what a wonderful sentiment to end on right there listen i uh, i cannot thank all of you enough for your time uh I'm a big fan of this. I know a lot of others are. And uh, I, as we've said here, I hope the conversation continues. So my most sincere thanks to Russell T. Davies, Ali Alexander, and Lydia West for joining us on The Awardist. Thank you. You've been very kind. Thank you. Jared, I know Um, I shouldn't say this, but that uh, interview was sinfully good. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. They're they're just uh, they're such a pleasure to speak with. Uh, as we've already said here, I uh, strongly support this series and what they did. And uh, I, by the way, don't recommend watching all of it in one sitting. You do need to give yourself oh. an emotional break, but it is worth every minute 
of viewing. So please check it out. And with all of that said, we want you to keep checking out The Awardist. We have more episodes to come after Emmy nominations are announced in July. So be sure to check back then. And of course, we have tons of other coverage on EW.com. We would love it if you would follow, subscribe, like, do all that stuff to The Awardist podcast so you don't miss an episode. And be sure to follow Kristen and me uh, on social media. I'm at Jared Hall. And Kristen, you are at? At Kristen G. Baldwin. Lovely. Well, if you don't follow her, you should. Her hot takes are fantastic. (laughs) Uh, And and with that, uh, we will uh, say goodbye to you for now. Thanks so much. And we'll see you on the next episode of The Awardist. 